Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Thursday, December 29, 2022. The international community is calling on South Sudanese leaders to intervene and stop the ongoing violence in the Greater Pibor Administrative Area. Stop the fighting and ensure the safety and security of civilians, as well as unimpeded humanitarian access to people affected by the fighting. And the South Sudan government is calling on holdout rebel groups to join the 2018 peace agreement. We are optimistic that 2023 will be a year of peace and stability and all the holding out groups will definitely join us in the implementation of the agreement. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. International and regional actors, including the United Nations, the Troika states, and the European Union, have called on South Sudan's leaders to intervene to stop fighting in Greater Pibor Administrative Area. The United Nations Office for Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs says at least 30,000 civilians have been displaced since the violence started six days ago. As Waki Simon Wudu reports from Juba, an official in Pibor says violence continues in Gumruk County. The United United Nations mission in South Sudan, the South Sudan Troika, the Regional Intergovernmental Authority on Development, the European Union and Peace Monitoring Body, RGMEC, expressed a grave concern over the escalation of violence in a greater Pibor administrative area. Unimis spokesperson Linda Tom says the partners urged the parties involved in the conflict to immediately cease hostilities, exercise restraint, and respect human rights. Unimis and international partners strongly encourage national politicians and traditional leaders to persuade youth to immediately stop the violence and pursue a dialogue-based approach that focuses on restoring calm and peacefully resolving the root causes of the conflict. Tom also said the partners want those responsible for the violence to face justice. To stop the fighting and ensure the safety and security of civilians, as well as unimpeded humanitarian access to people affected by the fighting. They also emphasize the need to investigate and hold accountable all perpetrators of the conflict, including those who are instigating and inciting violence and those responsible for abduction of women and children. People authorities blame the violence on a group called the White Army Empty Youth from neighboring Jongole State. They launched the first attacks on Saturday. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or UNOCHA, says about 30,000 people have been displaced since then. UNOCHA says the violence includes cattle raiding, destruction of property, and a displacement of thousands of people. About 5,000 internally displaced people have arrived in Pibor town after fleeing the conflict areas of Gumuruk and Lekwangole. UN Ocha says the fighting in Pibor, coupled with recent deadly violence in parts of Upper Nile State, has put a serious strain on humanitarian operations in South Sudan. South Sudan Army spokesperson Major General Lul Roy Kwong told South Sudan in focus that his office had no clear picture of the situation on ground. But he says the South Sudan People's Defense Force has recaptured its base. Uh, 
there's nothing much uh, apart from the fact that um, the SPD have regained control of Gumruk yesterday at 5 p.m. And this came as a result of uh, the youth, the wide army, voluntarily uh, withdrawing from Gumruk. But they could be fighting elsewhere. We do not have information on that. Kuang says the fighters from Jongle State attacked the army base during earlier classes. Abraham Kelang, the Information Minister of Greater Peabora Administrative Area, says violence continues in parts of the area. He is appealing for humanitarian assistance for those affected by the fighting. It was because uh, uh, arm use conflict is, uh, is out in town, but uh, it's still in uh, places by arms and villages in Gumro. Officials confirmed that at least 56 people have been killed from both sides. Jongole State Information Minister John Samuel Manuan on Tuesday condemned the violence. He told this program he was shocked to learn that empty youth from his state carried out the attacks. Sarah Besolonyanti, the UN Humanitarian Coordinator for South Sudan, says civilians, especially those most vulnerable, such as women, children, and the elderly, have borne the brunt of this crisis. She says the humanitarian community calls on anti fighters to immediately cease hostilities and to protect civilians and humanitarian workers. UN Ocha says the violence adds more challenges to an already dire humanitarian situation in several parts of the country. It says in 2023, about 9.4 million people will need humanitarian assistance and protection. It estimates 2.8 million people will face physical violence, including gender-based violence, and will need protection. Protracted displacement has affected over 2.2 million people who are unable to return to their homes, according to UN OCHA. For VN News, I'm Simon Wudu in Juba. The South Sudan government is calling on political groups that did not sign the 2018 revitalized peace agreement to join the unity government in the new year. An opposition leader says the government's call does not make sense because the government suspended its participation in the Rome peace talks with opposition groups last month. Deng Deng has the details for VOA from Bor. Michael McQuay, South Sudan's Minister of Information, hate groups that have not yet committed to the 2018 revitalized peace agreement to join the government to implement the peace process. McQuay says the government is committed to the agreement and is making sure there are no more delays in its implementation. The, the government of the Republic of South Sudan, your government, had been working hard to ensure that the agreement is implemented in letter and spirit. And as a result of the delays, we came up with the amended program, which is the, the roadmap of the, for the agreement. And uh, we are working hard to ensure that the agreement is implemented in letter and spirit. We are optimistic that 2023 will be a year of peace and stability. And all the holding out groups will definitely join us in the implementation of the agreement. In his comments a few days ago, McQuay called on the people of South Sudan to support the implementation of the peace agreement and embrace unity. 
He said 2023 will be the year the agreement is fully implemented so the country can go to elections in 2024. We call upon you all to support and stand with your government in 2023, which will be the last year for uh, implementation of the agreement because at the end of 2024 we shall be entering elections and this is the time when uh, you, the people of South Sudan, will decide for yourself as to who will lead you in the next uh, period. Paul Malonga one is the leader of the South Sudan United Front, a rebel group. He says Makwe's calls does not make sense because the government suspended its participation in the Rome peace talks last month. That one is not a, that is not a statement to be responded. First of all, they were the one who have suspended the, the peace and if they are willing then let them let them declare a day of going to 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 meet with the opposition and this is where people will go and meet and then discuss uh, discuss the the issues that will bring people together that is the issue the issue is not about to do with with, 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 with the just calling our group to come in in November, the government said it was pulling out of the Rome peace talks until further notice because the holdout rebel groups are only using the process to buy time to prepare for war. In a letter to the Secretary General of Sant Egidio in Rome, Presidential Affairs Minister Barnaba Marial Benjamin said the government made the decision to prevent what he called a mockery of a noble process. Marial, who was the chair of the government's delegation at the talks, said the South Sudan government has always been committed to the initiative in the hope of bringing permanent peace in the country. But Malong denies the government's accusation that his group was preparing for war, saying it was the government who was buying time for its own reasons. We will go and negotiate and if we agree, then we will. Because then you are not in exile in your own country for, 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 for you to know it how, how it is I'm, I'm being exiled that is my country this is the country that I have liberated this is the country that I have invested this is the country that I have a family in it this is the country that I have a vision in it it's not need to be asked whether I will accept or I will not accept that is my country my last, we are negotiating the, the government doesn't propose anything it doesn't come with an agenda the government doesn't come with agenda. And when we propose an agenda, they reject it. The opposition groups, which are united under the South Sudan Opposition Movements Alliance, have been in talks with the government with the aim of being incorporated into the 2018 deal. The holdouts include General Thomas Cyril Oswaka, who leads the National Salvation Front, General Paul Malongawan, who leads the South Sudan United Front, and General Pagan Amom, who leads the real SPLM party. The talks were being mediated by the community of San Egidio in Rome. For VOA News, I am Deng Guiding in Bor. And we move to Sudan where the news agency AFP reports that eight people have been killed in fighting in western Darfur state between groups of Arab Brzegat and four people. Shooting broke out late Wednesday in Zalinje, the state capital of central Darfur state, after a four member was killed, sparking wider fighting according to witnesses. 
Adam Brijal, spokesman for the General Coordination for Refugees and Displaced in Darfur, said Rizegad gunmen on motorbikes then stormed a camp for displaced people in the city attacking four residents. He said the clashes have left eight people killed and 11 wounded. Fighting raged overnight until Thursday morning in the city, which is 1,020 kilometers west of the capital Khartoum. On Saturday, at least 11 people were reported killed following deadly clashes in South Darfur state. It was not clear what started that fighting. The latest bouts of violence come as Sudan grapples with the crippling aftermath of a military coup led by Army Chief Abdel Fattah al-Burhan in October last year. Civilian groups signed a preliminary deal with the military to end the crisis earlier this month, but it has been criticized as opaque. Conflicts in Sudan's far-flung regions have killed around 900 people this year and driven almost 300,000 from their homes, according to the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we have a look at the concept of New Year's resolutions. Stay tuned. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... How do you reward yourself? I'll go and buy myself maybe a pair of shoes I always desire to get. I'll go and have a meal I always desire to get. Or anything. Depends on what I've achieved. By spoiling myself. Um, I'm a girl. I go buy myself clothes, shoes, do my hair, my nails. Basic things that will make me look good and happy at the end of the day. I cook a good meal. I sit down with a chill drink. My work involves very hard work, so I get very tired. So I work myself once every month. I do that by swimming and relaxing at the beach with my family. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on The Voice of America. Ethiopia's 4.2 billion Grand Renaissance Dam, or GERD, is nearly finished. It is built on the Blue Nile, the river's main tributary that accounts for more than 85% of the water reaching Egypt. Egypt and Sudan, another downstream nation, say Ethiopia should enter a legally binding agreement on the operation of the dam and on mechanisms for dealing with persistent drought. Egypt's President Abdel Fattah Hassisi has asked the U.S. to help persuade Addis Ababa to agree. John Mukumimbako, a non-resident fellow at Brooklyn and professor of economics at Weber State University, has researched and written extensively about the dam. He tells VOS Yahya's Wahib that it has already started generating electricity. The mega hydropower plant, according to the professor, will provide critical electricity to both Ethiopia and the wider region, paving the way for economic growth and development. Ethiopian Prime Minister Zenawi announced that uh, the country would construct a dam on the Blue Nile about 40 kilometers from the Sudan-Ethiopian uh, border in uh, April 2011, and immediately after that announcement, Egypt, and to a certain extent Sudan, began to 
argue against the construction of that dam. Egypt made more noise than Sudan, and Egypt actually started going around the world, making sure that if uh, Ethiopia was going to construct the dam, it would not be able to do so with international financial assistance. So that was the beginning of the headache for Ethiopia. Now we are on the third feeling, and the turbines are moving, and electricity is being generated. So let's start from there. And so, yes, you are right. The dam is now generating electricity. About uh, It was estimated that it would produce about 750 megawatts of electricity. And when it is fully uh, functional, it will generate up to 6,000 megawatts of electricity. Yes, Ethiopia is now in a position to sell electricity to its neighbors. As far as the GERD is concerned, what are the benefits? for the neighborhood uh, countries. You can look at the GERD from two perspectives, benefits for, for Ethiopia, which we can discuss later, and benefits for neighboring countries. Uh, neighboring countries can buy clean electric power from Ethiopia. The dam will generate up to 6,000 megawatts of electricity when it is fully operational. Ethiopia cannot use all that electricity, so it will be able to export that electricity to neighboring countries like uh, in Sudan, Kenya, Somalia, and all the other countries in the Nile Basin. That is clean energy. That is energy that will be very affordable. Ethiopia has already indicated that it is going to sell the electricity at very affordable rates. So the only thing that these countries will need to have to do will be to provide the cables and uh, infrastructure within which they can, uh, Ethiopia can export the electricity to them. So that is going to be a very big benefit, relatively low-price electricity, which would allow all these countries to electrify to the rural area. Uh, in addition to that, the GERD would also be able to help Sudan minimize flooding and the damages that flooding has done to Sudan during the uh, uh, previous season. So that is a very, good, uh, a very significant benefit to the Sudanese. Besides neighboring countries, what specifically does this dam benefit Ethiopia? Well, uh, number one, it's a unifying uh, entity for, for, you know, Ethiopia has had a lot of problems in the past with uh, uh, divisions within the country. This dam is considered a national pride is like Ethiopian Airlines, which uh, brings all Ethiopians together. It's something that Ethiopians abroad uh, and Ethiopians within Ethiopia can look to as something that belongs to them, not just to any one group in Ethiopia. So that's one of the benefits. But in terms of economic benefits, there, there's uh, quite a lot. Ethiopia can now extend uh, industries to the rural areas, especially uh, value added to agriculture. You can have light manufacturing in the rural areas, which was not possible up until now because of the lack of energy. Think of education, improve student learning. You know that uh, Ethiopia gets very hot during the summer, uh, the summer months, and it's very difficult for children to learn. Now, if you have air-conditioned classrooms, you're going to improve learning outcomes for children. Not only that, children can now, uh, schools can now stay open longer because children can do their homework at night uh, with electricity. Then you have internet. Internet can now go into the rural area very easily because you have electricity, something that you hadn't had in the past. Uh, and with, with internet going to the rural areas, you'll be bringing government and the global economy closer to the people who live in the rural areas.
That's John Mukum Mbaku, a non-resident fellow at Brooklyn's and professor of economics at Weber State University. He was speaking with my colleague Yahya Zuhib. Making New Year's resolutions is easy and appealing as a way to break with the past and make a fresh start. Following through on them month after month is the hard part. VOS Mariama Diallo reports. A new year is around the corner and many use this time to make New Year's resolutions. Why do people do that, you might ask? It's a new calendar year. We have a chance to leave behind all of the old stuff, good and bad, from the previous year and move forward and and start to make new plans, new goals, and we may feel excited and recharged by that. That was Mandy Doria, a certified counselor at the University of Colorado, speaking with the Associated Press. That feeling of hope can dissipate amid day-to-day stressors, but there are ways to set goals without feeling like you're setting yourself up for failure. She told the AP. There's a concept called SMART goals. So SMART goals should be specific. They should be measurable. They should be attainable. And they should be reliable as well as time-based. So, for example, I might want to move my body more. And so I might start by going to the gym or going to yoga once a week. And then after three weeks, maybe I build on that. So... I can make time-specific goals as well, and it's measurable and it's specific. Christine Whelan is a clinical professor at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and the author of Finding Your Purpose, an Audible original 10-lecture series. New Year's resolutions are a cultural phenomenon, and it's really tempting to want to do them, right? So... The best advice is to take a step back and ask why. Why is it that you want to make a change? These are questions of purpose and values and meaning. So maybe you do want to go to the gym and lose a couple pounds, but why? And if you can get to that core reason for why, research finds that you are much more likely to actually follow through on your goals and make it happen. Whalen says there are other ways to start the new year by making it more of a reflective exercise rather than an intimidating to-do list. Rather than New Year's resolutions, one thing that I've loved to do over the years is write a letter to myself at New Year's the next year. And in that letter, what I do is I think about where I want to be, where I am right now, the things that are important to me, my values and purpose statement, my hopes and goals for the year ahead. Edward Heath is a professor at the Department of Psychological and Brain Sciences at Indiana University. In an interview with the AP, he says to be successful at sticking with a New Year's resolution, one must understand that pursuing a goal is a process. Because I think most of the time in many goal pursuit situations, we're really hard on ourselves if we don't get where we anticipate we should be. And if we can kind of break down the goal pursuit process into sub-stages or sub, you know, kind of goals along the way and can sort of see ourselves meeting those things and take pride in accomplishing those pieces of the larger process. It is much more reinforcing to us. He says people should also reflect on their progress to see how far they've come rather than only focusing on the end point. Mariama Diallo, VOA News, Washington. Sudan in Focus is now 
on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. And that's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Riziki by Gymnasi Africa. Yeah.
kwao umeshukulize usiku hata safari nyingi mwafanya usiku biashara zote mwafanya usiku kwa nini Listening to Yamnazi Africa and the song Riziki. I am your host, Nabil Biajo, in Washington. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phone.